Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, along with my beautiful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. And today we have back on Naran Alajba, Dr. Naran Alajba, and Dr. Rebecca Bernard. If you remember from our podcast a few months ago, I believe, they were talking about their book, Patients at Risk. Go check that out. And um, today, we're going to be talking about corporate healthcare. What is it, and is it good for patients? These are two people that are very passionate about this subject, and they know the ins and outs of it. So um, I think a lot of our listeners and viewers might be surprised to understand how corporate healthcare um, runs runs a lot of medicine now. So uh, Dr. Lajba and Dr. Bernard, welcome back to our show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We're thrilled to be here. All right. So. Uh, Dr. Bernard, let's start with you. And uh, um, Dr. Lajba can can uh, piggyback off of this. What is corporate healthcare? Corporate healthcare is when a company or an entity owns your healthcare services, which could include your doctor, your therapist, your uh, every single person that's involved in your healthcare, your laboratory, your radiology, and they call the shots. So um, I'll just say this, that this is the first time in history that more physicians are owned by a company than own themselves. And also, perhaps not coincidentally, this is the first time in history when physician burnout is at an all-time high. Patients are extremely unhappy a lot of times with the healthcare that they're receiving. And patients are really concerned about the cost of healthcare, which is going up and up and up. So you just have to ask yourself, what's the common denominator there? And I would argue it is the corporate practice of medicine. Dr. Lajba, let's see yeah, you. I would agree. You know, uh, some might be offended by my analogy, but I think about practicing medicine as a little bit about being like a prostitute or selling a service, right? And so I don't have a pimp. Essentially, I am my own independent service provider, essentially, even though I don't like the word provider, so clinician, but I, I do perform a service for people and to keep them healthy. Nobody owns me, so I get to make a decision thinking what's best for my patient. I always, forever, get to make that decision, and so that, to me, gives me the freedom to do what I'd like, and you know, with the patient, right? The patient and I can work together to do what's best for them and talk about it. When you have a pimp, they tell you when, they tell you who, they tell you how much. And so that's the best way I've found to describe it. Essentially, when you're owned by a corporation, that corporation is not has not gone through medical school. They don't understand the medicine, which is what we train so long to know. And then they're interested in the cash. They're just, they, they need to get their bottom line so they can pay all their administrators their salaries. So then the physician is now supporting 10 administrators instead of I'm the administrator of my own practice. And I know Dr. Bernard's the same way. So again, we get to prioritize the patient. We get to worry about the money later, to be honest. And we get to make joint decisions with the patient, which is something that corporate healthcare really doesn't allow for. They want more CTs. They want more studies. They want more labs. They want more referrals because all of that supports all these non-physicians administrators who are pushing paper at the top. Wow. I was thinking, I was listening to that comparison and I, at first I was like, whoa, but then I started thinking, well, you know, if you try to leave the pimp, they won't let you leave them or they'll hurt you if you do. <laughs> I started thinking, oh, maybe, uh, maybe that is a pretty apt comparison in a lot of ways. 
there is somebody else that's that's pulling the strings, if you will, and you cannot uh, be sure that the care that you're getting is what your physician wants to provide, or if somebody else is really calling the shots, and the doctor unfortunately has no choice but to comply, or they may not be able to work or be gainfully employed. And that's a big deal if you've come out of school with $250,000 in debt, or if you have a type of specialty that requires you to work for an organization like a hospital, for example, if you're an emergency physician or a surgeon, then it's a lot easier for them to control you. Wow. So what you guys are saying is that in corporate healthcare, physicians aren't making the decisions on patient care. Is that what you guys are saying? That's correct. And what happens is like, let's take an average ER. Once the ER is owned by a private equity firm or a large hospital corporation, um, essentially, they can come through and say, you did not order enough CT scans on your patients in this 12-hour shift. You did not order enough labs. You know, we need money, so you need to generate money. And me, I get to say, well, we don't have to do that CT because of this reason or that reason. Or again, I get to decide with the patient, do you want this study? You know, these would be the reasons to do it. These would be the reasons not to do it. You know, I sort of get to talk it over with the patient and nobody is hiring me, firing me or giving me a bonus for how much I do for the patient, meaning, you know, not service to the patient, meaning how many labs, how many times can I poke the patient? How many extra things can I add on for services to charge money? I don't have anybody overseeing me and telling me I have to do those things. You know, sometimes it's really egregious, like Naran is saying, there are companies that we've heard of that do tell physicians and other staff members straight up that they need to increase their billing. Sometimes it's more subtle. You know, I worked in an organization and they made it really clear that you needed to refer to other doctors within the group and within the hospital, mm -hmm. within the organization. So it wasn't always that you would get told you had to do it, but there was pressure. You knew that that was the expectation and that if it wasn't happening, you know, potentially there could be consequences. The other thing that when I worked in a corporate environment, and I've worked in several, there's a, a lot of, there's definitely money is, is the top priority a lot of times. So we used to have our doctor meetings every month, and they would always put up the slides of how much money we were making or not making. Somehow we were always in the red, but yet we had an awful lot of people making, you know, six and seven figure salaries above us. And what was really interesting to me was every single day, every day, I got an email. It was an Excel spreadsheet and it had my name and it had every other physician's name and it showed how much money we had billed. It showed every day how many patients we had seen, how much money we had billed, how many referrals we had placed. And, you know, a lot of that was to, to inspire a sort of a sense of competition or just to see where you stood. And uh, so it was clear that that was a lot of what this was all about was, you know, they would say, of course, well, we need profit so that we can stay open. We need to have, you know, we need to cover our bottom line. But, you know, money was definitely a very high priority. So, Janet, do you have any uh, comments or questions for them? Well, it explains a lot um, to the conversation I have with clients um, concerning their doctors or other healthcare providers about the burnout that they're experiencing because we just assume that outcome of the client or the patient would be number one, not the dollar. And that's really unfortunate. Um, I feel like the healthcare system is failing our patients with not outcomes versus the dollar. I mean, what, what are your comments on that? Well, I've always said I get the luxury of concentrating on outcomes. 
because I really don't have to think about the money. And and to say that, I'm not saying I don't charge people because I do. Uh, I'm actually one third of the price of someone who's in a corporation. So what they can bill, since they actually get facility fees on top of their visit fee, and the facility fee is about twice as much as the visit fee. And so neither Dr. Bernard or I can charge a facility fee, which is essentially renting the space in the hospital or renting the space in a corporation. So we're about one third the price of anyone who goes to an outpatient clinic that's owned by a large conglomerate organization. So I don't have to really worry about the money. I'm going to see the patient. I'm going to bill. It's got to stop. I mean, a $250 or $300, right? Just to check into the place before they do anything. That's right. And, pa- and patients don't know that. And they get away with it because they say their insurance covers it and all this kind of stuff. But not everybody has insurance that covers it. And it, it increases the cost for everybody. And I, I got to be honest with you guys. I don't feel a bit sorry for hospitals when they talk about all the charity care they give, which I don't buy it anyway. Um, they, they are accessory to the crime. They are creating a mess in our healthcare system. And they are definitely, they're like a cartel. They have created cartels with insurance companies and lobbyists in, in Congress to, to be able to do these things like facility fee billing. And do you know how they do charity care? They get to bill the entire amount and write that off. So it's $10,000 for a CT scan at a hospital. It's 2000 in an independent radiology center. They get to write off all 10000 even if Medicare only would have paid them 1000 so it, just it's, a, it's a scam. It is, it is a total a scam. scam and a ripoff. And, and it needs to be exposed. Um, and that, that's why we have guests like yourself on to expose this, this corruption. So, so patients can make educated decisions themselves. And, you know, when you talk about corporate corporations, I also would include government and nonprofits and these uh, federally qualified health centers because I worked in that type of an entity before I went into a for-profit world. And it was really a lot of the same things. I remember one of my employers or bosses saying, oh, I hope we just have a really good flu season because that'll really raise our revenues. So and then uh, another time it was when I was young and naive and just starting out. And I remember we had our doctor meeting and quarterly meeting and they said, guys, we're in the red and we just need you to work a little bit harder. Everybody could just see a few more patients and put in a few extra shifts and then we'll just get out of the red. And then I remember I really took it seriously. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And so I worked, you know, again, I'm young. I'm, I was young and dumb. So I'm, I'm working, I'm staying late. I'm, you know, putting the, my nose to the grindstone. And then it was our next meeting. And then they were like, okay. And then they didn't even acknowledge the work. And then I was like, well, that's interesting. And then the following quarter, they said, guys, we're in the red again. We just need just one, just this last. And then I realized, oh, this happens every quarter. This is not about, this is just about them trying to take advantage and trying to get people to work more and do more in the name of helping the company. And, um, but it's not always in the best interest, certainly not of the doctors. We were just, you know, destroyed working so hard. And that's another point that I'd like to make about burnout is you mentioned being, having, you know, having the corporate owner, and then you have the patient that you're really accountable to, and you really, doctors want to do the right thing. I hope that our listeners don't hear this and think that doctors are just really bad and we're just trying to make money for our companies. We, we feel that pressure, but we try to balance that and we try not to do that, but keep our jobs. And then also remember that when we order all those tests, then we've got the insurance company saying, well, we're not going to pay for that test. So you need to justify it. You need a prior authorization. You need a, a certification. So then you're on the phone and who's the person getting squeezed to do all of this over and over again? It's the physician. And that's why I just don't understand. I do in a certain respect that doctors 
that choose to enter into this model, a lot of times we do it because we don't feel like we can handle business. We don't feel like we want to deal with the insurance companies. It just seems daunting. No one taught us this stuff in medical school or residency. It just seems easier just to let someone else deal with it. But it's not. It turns out that it's not easier. And I think that then you kind of get these golden handcuffs where you're getting paid a very good salary. You're getting great health insurance, all these things. You think, well, I'll just keep going with it. And you almost get trapped and don't realize that there is another way, which is self-ownership. Just Absolutely. like having a and that's where the pimp thing comes from. <laughs> right, right. That's a great analogy. And by the way, backing up on hospitals, you know, nonprofit, for profit, private, public, FQHC, fairly qualified healthcare clinic, that, that you're right. They are all the same and they are all in the business of overcharging. Um, speaking of federally qualified healthcare clinics, and nothing personal against the doctors that are there or the clinics personally. But I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, they have a, what's called an FQHC rate, and and um, Dr. Elajba, you can probably uh, comment on that. But basically, any time a patient, any patient, whether it be me that's paying cash or, or somebody that's insured or a Medicaid patient or a patient that's uninsured and can't pay, anybody that walks in that door, they get a federally a, a FQHC rate, a certain dollar amount just for a patient encounter that walks in the door. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Will you, will you elaborate on that? Sure. Well, Rebecca, you were there. You probably go for it. Well, I'm just going to say, and they get even more if it's a rural health center. They get higher rates. In fact, I got a phone call. I wrote an article about this for fee.org about just my experience working in an FQHC. And I got a phone call from a doctor in one of the Carolinas. And he was telling me, you know, I tried to open my own private practice in a rural area and I could not succeed because of the competition from the federally qualified health center, which, by the way, pretty much staffs only non-physician practitioners. He said, it's kind of crazy because at Medicaid rates, which is what everybody pays, he said, I can't afford my overhead and I can't serve this community. This was a gentleman who was African-American. He grew up in the community and he wanted to serve it. And he said, unless I go to work for this entity, which I will not do because I don't want them to employ me, then I cannot actually survive in that market. Because like you said, these federally qualified health centers do make a higher rate on Medicare and Medicaid payments. And then they also qualify for grants and subsidies through the federal government. And as I mentioned, they are subsidized so that they are required to hire actually usually more nurse practitioners and physician assistants than physicians to staff these centers. Well, and speaking of the rural health designation, I know we, we live in a rural community ourselves. And I will tell you, there, there's a clinic in Eastern Washington that basically has monopolized rural cities, and they go into any little city in in the north in the um, north central Washington area, and they basically monopolize them and and you know put every independent doctor out of business because they're they get this rural health designation. They're a huge clinic. They have a big mothership that they refer to, and they basically destroyed independent practices um, in Eastern Washington or in our our Eastern Washington area. Well, and we even have a federally qualified health clinic that gets to go into the schools. So they were allowed to run clinics in the schools. And the only reason I found out about it is they were trying to immunize my patients. And I sort of had to throw a fit. And they were giving the patients like saying they needed three MMRs. And they, they were way off of whatever the recommendations were because it wasn't physicians. And so I really kind of made sure they stayed away from patients that were either at independent clinics or had other primary care right. physicians. For some, for some reason, Dr. Lajba, I'm not surprised you threw a fit and good for you. <laughs> 
Guys, you know, what's funny, what's funny is this, I'll tell you, it's, I always say it's me and my patients against the world. And so what's cute is my patients will throw fits and then I kind of like follow behind and call the school and throw another fit. And it's like, we kind of good cop, bad cop, whoever's trying to break us up. And it's amazing how many different pharmacies and schools and federal clinics and hospitals try to break me up from my own patients. So I love that they fight as hard as I do. And that's why I've survived as long as I have. Well, I get and that's that a why, lot. So, oh, sorry. Ahead, I get that no, from my patients that hear from um, Medicare or insurer sponsored uh, services that where they want to come to their home and do some kind of a have a nurse come by and they'll say, I'm not letting those per- that person into my house. That's not my doctor. <laughs> I love it when they get feisty like that. I think it's okay. It's okay. They're like, no, I only want to talk to my doctor about my problems. I don't want to talk to somebody from the insurance company. Well, and I think that uh, kudos goes out to you guys for educating your patients about those kind of things. So at least the communication and the relationship that you have built with them, they can come to you and ask like, hey, so-and-so wants to come out and humanize me or whatever. And it's, and you guys can, you know, they've got the communication lines open where you guys can educate them on that. So thanks for doing that. Well, Well, and I think that's the most important part about being your own person is that Again, I know my patients. If it's Susie Smith or Jones and I see them, I know them in the community. I know who they are. I know their medical problems. I went on a walk yesterday and one of my patient's parents was gardening in her yard. Now I know where she lives, which is kind of cool. Um, but you just like you become it's like family. So I think Dr. Bernard and I can say I think of my patients like they're my family and I can send them to whatever doctor I want to as a specialist. I send them to who I take my own family members to. And it's a unique, specialized way of caring for patients. That's right. So, Janet, you had a comment? Well, I just want to say I don't, I don't believe this is too far back in our history that that's how medicine was practiced. Um, growing up in a small community myself, you know, our doctor probably delivered everybody in the community almost. And the nice thing about having those relationships is you can identify problems just by knowing that patient of what's not normal in their behavior or what they're telling you, because I don't think when you get a 10 minute or even a 15 minute uh, session in a doctor's office and you can't even talk to one another, that that's accomplished. I, I feel like that's just a waste of effort and time. And many times, you know, if I look back at my own healthcare, you know, walking beside that doctor and knowing him and him knowing me, we made decisions together and it was comfortable and he knew our family, just like you said, he knew where you lived. He knew what you did for, you know, a job or what you were as a student in high school or grade school. It's a huge uh, difference. And I think corporate America has taken away relationships and I'm glad you're fighting for them because I think that's key in overall health because who is the person you're going to call to when you have a problem, the person you don't know that's not listening to you. Um, just as a side, Friday I had a little lady come in and she couldn't see her doctor because Medicare wouldn't cover another visit, but she was struggling with anxiety. She was shaking. She was so upset. And it's sad to me. It's really sad. There's patients out there that need care, need somebody to interact with them and help them. And, you know, she's coming in to me to, to help her with her problem. And I can't prescribe for her. I can only listen. And it's sad how many people are falling through those cracks. 
Me too. And I encourage people when they when they have a relationship that maybe isn't ideal or they can't have access to their doctor to go find an independent practice. Yeah, I, I've said this right. for years. Find a doctor who owns themselves. I'm a third generation independent primary care physician. And I remember my grandfather said, you'll never be good because you're not going to be doing home visits. You, you just simply can't know anyone until you're in their home. And he used to lecture me about that all the time. And the thing is, I, I agree to a certain extent, you have to know the family. You have to know what animals they raise. You have to know where they travel. You have to know all these things. And again, I have the luxury of this, you know, second and third generation families are coming to the practice. And it, it honestly, it's great for the patient, but I got to say, I love it. And it prevents burnout because I'm seeing my friends and I know they're going to see me through whatever happens to me. And I'm going to try to see them through whatever happens to them. And that's the whole point of a relationship. And isn't it true that a lot of, a lot of times these corporate clinics, like I can think of in, in our small town, we basically have three big players in town that are all are, would be defined as a corporate clinic. And um, I think it's interesting because I can't even keep up anymore. The doctors are gypsies there. I mean, multiple doctors have worked at multiple, all three clinics. They'll work at one, two years. They'll work at another one, two years. And so how can a patient really establish a relationship um, with a doctor when they're like gypsies in those places? And if you guys could comment, is it true that a lot of times at those corporate clinics, if you have, you know, a certain doctor that many times when you go into that clinic to see that doctor, you know, um, somebody else is going to see you. Is that correct? That, that could definitely correct. happen. You know, what happens in a lot of these industries is, I, and I found, that doctors are considered quite dispensable. So you could be working for an organization and at the drop of a hat, for whatever random reason, the corporation could just decide that they don't want to continue your employment. They'll find a reason or maybe they have a reason, but they're very quick to let doctors go and replace them with another person, which could be another physician or could be a non-physician practitioner. The other thing that happens, too, is that sometimes doctors jump ship. You know, we sit, look for greener pastures. We think, well, I'm not being well treated at this organization. Let me go try. You know, maybe the grass is greener on the other side. And, of course, you know, I, I'm guilty of that. I've done that. A lot of my colleagues have. We're hoping that maybe it's going to be better somewhere else. And, unfortunately, we then usually learn that it's the same old thing. Sometimes it looks a little better uh, from the outside. They promise you all sorts of things. But then once you get in the door, you find out that a lot of it's just the same old kind of corporate mentality. And then, of course, sometimes they'll hire doctors that are locums, meaning they're travel doctors coming from other places. Sometimes that's all they can find because they fired all the other doctors right. before right. You know, yep. standing up to something or complaining about something. One thing that I can tell you about these corporations, they do not like it when doctors speak out. They hate it. I mean, look at that doctor, Dr. I think Ming, who spoke out about not having protective equipment. He was an ER doctor out in Bellingham, Washington. They were quick, quick, quick to fire him just because he said, hey, I'm concerned about safety. So when this happens, you can just you say the slightest word about anything and they will let you go at the drop just immediately. So doctors have to be really careful, have to mind their P's and Q's. But if your doctor does just disappear one day, don't just assume they did something wrong. They could have just told the administrator, you know, no, I'm not going to see patients in five minutes per appointment. And the administrator says, well, then get out. Uh, because that sort of thing does happen all the time, unfortunately. So I think patients really should look for an independent practice. Of course, sometimes independent practices decide that they can't handle it anymore and they sell themselves to a corporation because it is really hard to deal with a lot of these payers and it costs a lot of money just to open and to keep a practice going. There's a lot of overhead expenses. So sometimes these small practices can't survive on their own. So that might be time for a patient to look for a direct care type of a practice that doesn't accept insurance. 
I have a lot of Medicare patients now that come and see me. I don't take Medicare. The patient pays a monthly membership. They use their Medicare for hospitalizations or procedures or things like that. And then they just pay so that they don't have what Janet referred to, which is saying, oh, I don't have any more visits left with my doctor. There's no such thing in direct care as that. You can see your doctor as often as you need to. You can text, you can email. And so I definitely encourage patients to take a look for a direct care physician in their community. Absolutely. And I, will, and I would like to add just that my practice celebrated its 50th anniversary this past January. So for 50 years in this community, we have families who over now three to four, we have one fourth generation patient. They have been taken care of by a Dr. Alajba for 50 years. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So I want to back up. I don't remember which one it was that said this about we were, um, you know, uh, corporate healthcare or hospital would come to you and say, we're, we're hoping for a busy flu season this year. Yeah, that, that was actually at a federally qualified health center. Okay. He said, you know, we're in the red, if but if we can just get a really good flu season, we'll get in the black. So, okay. you know, you, you yeah. think about how we really need to be incentivizing people to be well. Well, of course, it's a fee-for-service uh, paradigm that we have. And so there's this corporate mentality shift and government payer shift towards what they call value-based care. But the problem, of course, becomes value to whom? Who are, Who is the person that makes that decision about what is value? And often what it turns into is value to the company or value to the right. government and saving money, let's say. So then that, that's a whole nother thing you have to think about. So speaking of this, since it's hot in the news and you see it in every hospital all over the country, no matter what the state is, but, um, you know, you see them really, really hot on the COVID thing, whether it be they screen everybody, they uh, make everybody wear masks, they they have special people that they've hired to come in to, to, to screen these people. So is for COVID, right? So... Are hospitals and corporate healthcare taking taking advantage of the COVID situation at all? Would I, that surprise you? <laughs> well, I'm asking. I mean, the I'm experts. not saying they are, but I mean, you have to look at the evidence <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> Go ahead. Nia. I think. Well, I think there's probably two sides to that too. I mean, they are spending a lot more on protective equipment. They're having to contain major outbreaks. So I think there's a lot more they're fighting. Um, but I would say this, that uh, they definitely are cutting salaries of physicians. They are cutting salaries. They've laid off a number of uh, both physicians and non-physician practitioners over the past year. Now the rubber meets the road. With all this extra required or extra efforts and things, they're, they're now losing money far more than they were before. And they have these administrators at the top. They have to pay 700000 to a $1 million annually in salaries. So the cuts have to come from somewhere and the administrators aren't going to self-select themselves off the off the payroll. So essentially they are making up for it by eliminating people and then having to see more patients more quickly with your um, practitioners. Let's not get rid of the non-clinical staff, the administration, right? Let's not get rid of them or cut their it's, salaries. It's so backwards. I can't even, uh, I can't figure it out. Yeah, well, it's just follow the money. And and here's one of the things I think about the COVID thing. And you guys, you know, feel free to comment on this. Um, you know, the way hospitals are, they've got one of the biggest lobbying groups in the nation. And so they can lose they can lose all this money on COVID. And they know that what's gonna happen in the end is they will lobby Congress to get bailed out for all this stuff. So I honestly think I think that there will be screeners at hospitals for the rest of my life checking for COVID just because they're going to get paid extra for that. I don't know. 
That might not be the case, but I could see that happening because lobbies have because hospitals have a big lobby, strong lobby group. I think what kind of what you're getting at is unnecessary care. So you're getting at unnecessary expenses and unnecessary use of resources. And you are right. When an organization, especially federally qualified health clinics, but any large corporation, they lobby Congress and they get reimbursed. And yes, you are going to see that because follow the money, like you said, they're making decisions on widgets, not people. But, you know, I see that in every industry. For example, at this point now, COVID's been around long enough that we understand a lot more about it that we didn't in the beginning. For example, we know that COVID is not really transmitted by fomites or, in other words, objects that you touch. And yet the restaurant still won't give you a menu. And, you know, you can't try on clothes in a store. And things like that. And I think that's where people get really frustrated or temperature checks are still being done when there really is no great evidence that that really makes a difference. And I think people get tired of complying with all of these regulations and requirements if there's not good reason for them. If you if it makes sense to do something, then I think most Americans are going to say, well, OK, that's logical. There's evidence that, that that is helpful. And then there's all these other things that we're doing that may not really make sense. And they're just it's really just disrupting our ability to get back to some semblance of normalcy, which is what we all really want to be able to do. That's right. That's absolutely right. So um, as we wind this podcast up, I, um, I want to ask both you guys, I've asked this before, but uh, we're on a little bit different subject now. So uh, Dr. Bernard, um, what do you have a passion for? What drives you? It's, you know, I always love to travel and now I cannot because of COVID. And it's kind of funny because now that I'm thinking about, well, maybe soon I'll be able to travel. It's kind of feels really strange because we really are in a different world now. So I'm trying to find some other passions. Like, of course, I love to write. Writing is a hobby, but I'm trying to find other things. And I think that's something that all physicians need to do because we uh, sometimes we are so busy with work that we forget about just trying to have some fun. So trying to find more things like that. But of course, my biggest passion, as we've talked about, is writing and spreading the word and also focusing on physician wellness. And I think not being employed by a corporation is definitely a step in the right direction when it comes to physician wellness. Yeah, amen to that. So Dr. Lajba, how about your passion? You know, it's going to sound boring, but my passion has and will always be helping children be the best that they can be in their lives. There's there's no greater satisfaction than I get from watching and raising my own kids and then watching and raising 3,000 other children that are in my practice. So I'm, I'm back after a week of vacation in Friday Harbor, and I'll tell you what, I miss these kids and I miss getting to see them and hearing what they're doing and hearing about their lives. It's really like I get to be the mom to 3000 kids. And it's, it's really what drives me. I love of children. Well, I think you make that pretty obvious. The, the way you talk and the way you, um, you know, present and talk about the history of your dad and your grandpa. And, you know, it, it comes out in our work and it's so nice to see a physician both physicians, you and Dr. Bernard, that are happy with what they do, because unfortunately, so many physicians are unhappy. And it's just, it is very sad to talk to them how, you know, they recently got out of med school, and they've been out a year, and they're just not happy with their practice. So that being said, it is possible. You guys are two examples of that. And independent physicians are usually happier. So thank you guys for doing that. Thank you for standing up for your patients. And thank you for standing up for the healthcare system. I appreciate you being on our show again. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, Thursday, you don't want to miss. We have uh, an episode uh, as we do our midweek podcast every week. We have uh, Carolyn Stites. She is going to 
she's going to be talking about uh, Viber, Vibergenics. Um, it's a machine that helps um, to support circulation and uh, some health, some other health issues. So you don't want to miss out on that. It is 1230. Is that correct, producer? It's Wednesday. Sorry. It's usually Thursday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday, 1130. 11, 11 to uh, 11 to noon. So don't want to miss out on that. And as always, thank you for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, Dr. Lodge by Dr. Bernard. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. Thanks.